Hello and welcome to the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I am Lee Carlo. I am joined by Chapin Hemingway and Jeremy Fisk. Before we get started, guys, I'm very excited to announce that this week's episode of the Get Your Film Fix podcast is sponsored by Devlin McGregor. The pharmaceutical giant has moved beyond its past accusations of malfeasance surrounding the RDU-90 miracle drug known as Provasic and has returned as one of the leaders in cutting-edge pharmaceutical treatment. We're very excited to have them sponsoring this week's episode because today we're bringing you a Tom Hanks double feature celebrating the 25th anniversary of Apollo 13 and reluctantly accepting the existence (laughs) of his newest film, Greyhound. Well, we, you're not supposed to give Whoa. anything away in the <laughs> yeah. intro. I didn't know you didn't like it. Uh, I didn't say that. I just said we're reluctantly accepting the existence of it. Could, Take that how you may. Could I give you guys um, a? Could I give you a a little a frightening statistic? Sure. It has been just as long since the release of Apollo 13 as it was between Apollo 13 the movie and Apollo 13 the occurrence the event. Isn't that frightening? That makes me feel old. Yes, yes. And we still haven't been back to the moon. (laughs) Pathetic. (laughs) Um, Finally, as everyone probably predicted, we are going to give you the definitive top five Tom Hanks performances. We've compiled our lists. Half of us have sent them to me. and No, I sent mine. I didn't get yours. Yeah, I emailed it. Oh, I didn't check check my email. So during during the course of this podcast, so professional. During the course of this podcast, I will I will compile the scores and we'll have the get your film fixed definitive top five Tom Hanks performances. Congratulations on your command. I'll always be looking for you, Evie, even if I'm a thousand miles away. Air escort to Greyhound. You will now be out of range of air cover for the next five days. Safe travels to England. How many crossings does this make? This is my first. I got some. Most likely a U-boat. He's trying to slip under us! Fire! We have a kill. All right, guys. Feels like it's been a while, baby. I'm, I'm pumped. I'm pumped. It does. I'm excited. Um, and I want to start off with this. We all know the resume, um, but for anyone out there who hasn't been on this planet or just hasn't heard it put together concisely, I want to run through uh, what Tom Hanks did from 1992 kind of on. 1992, A League of Their Own. 93, Sleepless in Seattle and Philadelphia. 94, Forrest Gump. 95, Apollo 13 and Toy Story. In 96, he directs and acts in That Thing You Do. 1998, Saving Private Ryan and You've Got Mail. 1999, Toy Story 2 and The Green Mile. Now, a lot of people stop there and talk about how Tom Hanks won the 90s, which is not really something you can argue with. But if you keep going, 2000, he does Castaway. 2002, Road to Perdition and Catch Me If You Can. Then, unfortunately, in 2004, it all sort of came crashing down. He did The Lady Killers and The Terminal. But that 10-year stretch from 92 to 2002 is unrivaled, in my opinion. Uh, To borrow a, a sports term, I think it's an unbreakable record. Um, I think it's an incredible 10 years. And I think the similarities in a lot of those movies is where I kind of want to steer my question. Uh, 
Hanks has said himself that he likes to play characters that are basically ordinary men in extraordinary situations. And you can see that in a lot of his movies. Um, several examples in the ones I mentioned, and then even more recently, movies like Bridge of Spies, Captain Phillips, Sully, all kind of handle that idea, that theme. Uh, as a result of that, Tom Hanks has sort of become the everyman movie star, um, based on what I have seen and know about his off-screen persona that may actually be somewhat true. He may be more normal than the uh, typical movie star. But I'm wondering what it is about movies like Apollo 13 and Greyhound, which we're going to discuss in so many of these other movies, that aren't just in particular about ordinary men in extraordinary situations, but also fights for survival at all costs. I'm wondering what Hanks does as an actor in these types of movies that elevate them or what it is that people love about what he does as an actor in these types of movies that keeps everybody coming back. Well, I think it's interesting because I kind of disagree with Hanks. I think he portrays these characters as everyday men, but I don't think they are everyday men. I mean, you look at Apollo 13, Jim Lovell is not an everyday guy he up until that point he had the most hours in space right that's not a typical everyday person and all these people are professionals they're all or a lot of them are really really good at their jobs um so it's not necessarily that he's playing everyday people he just has a sort of grounding to the way he portrays these characters in which we can put ourselves into those positions and say what would we do um I think that's where his success is, and, and it's not in that he goes out of his way to try to play everyday people. Well, so taking like an astronaut out of it, for example, I mean, but Captain, even in Captain of a Captain well, yeah, Cross, but, that guy's been Bridge of Spies. He's an insurance salesman that is given this, you know, daunting task. Um, you know, say what you. I mean, Sully, he's a pilot. You know, which is a interesting job but it's still just a job captain phillips similarly is he's just a you know a, a cargo a, ship captain both those people are professionals at their well at i think that's even interesting. in castaway becomes, he's like it, really good at that it becomes relatable um i think maybe in that sense what do you think chapin i think uh it's interesting people have been talking about greyhound maybe a little disparagingly as like a dad movie um, and I sort of look at Hanks as like our kind of like America's dad, you know, or yeah. at least the dad we all wanted. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he makes these movies that I think appeal to that same group of people like, um, you know, heroic tales, you know, not necessarily con- particularly controversial. Um, you know, when I was breaking down his the the top eight or whatever that I sent you Lee just in the nick of time. Uh, I noted, you know, I, I, his, I think Hanks is a fantastic actor. I think he's delivered some historical memorable performances, but I don't know that he's, I wouldn't call him like an actor. He's not like in the same class as like Daniel day Lewis or Christian Bale. Like he's not somebody who is a chameleon. He's not like a, guy who he's he's still very much a movie star he's just a different type of movie star than say tom cruise or you know harrison ford he he's 
he's he he kind of plays the same type of character um but he makes these type of movies that you know people like to see and and he's a likable guy and they're you know intelligent movies but they're not too intelligent they're uh, historical, but they're not kind of boring. You know, he just makes movies that are very appealing to people, especially kind of like your sort of middle of the road white dude, which is kind of what Tom Hanks is. Right. So, okay. So, I mean, both of your answers sort of described, I think, the general consensus of what Hanks is and what everybody is drawn At to. At his best. Right. And And let's assume just for the moment that that's what we're talking about but i'm just i had a hard i have a hard time in all his movies pinpointing exactly what it is he does as an actor that's that's makes him a great actor like is it is it just his line delivery is it his facial expressions is it his you know i think it's his body mannerisms like i think he's a very charming guy yeah um i think he I mean, that's not that's not something every movie star has. I don't know why I keep going back to Tom Cruise. Maybe they just have the same name. As that's why. But <laughs> um, like, I don't know that Cruise is charming. He's just like intense. You know, like I like charming is not the first word that comes to mind when I think of Tom Cruise. I think of intensity, and um, you know, but but Hanks is very charming and likable, and and. But he's also calming and authoritative. Yeah, and you want to listen yeah, to like him, that. and you yeah. want yeah. you want him to take care of the situation, no matter what it is. If he's in charge of it, you're going to be like, "All right, we're going to be okay." Tom Hanks is here to get it's us the, out uh, back the, to the Earth. Lo- the lawyer from Changeling thing. Tom Hanks is that in every movie? Yeah, I- exactly. Okay, I like that. Um, okay, so guys, I know we we try to with these double features talk about these movies a little bit in conjunction with each other they Um, are similar they They are are very similar they're both like procedurals about historical events that happened that the movies sort of take us hour by hour day by day until our heroes have gotten to the end yeah right would you say that that's where the similarity lies Mm -hmm. definitely and and this is the what i want to kind of kick off our conversation with on you drank that fast chapin (laughs) <laughs> this is what I want to kick off our conversation on um, regarding these two movies and it can just kind of steer into one or the other we'll see um, but exposition because I think both of these movies are driven by exposition in kind of unique ways Greyhound in a somewhat new fashion wherein it is written I would guess in a very accurate procedural way where the language that they use is the exact language that you'd be using on these ships um greyhound is about uh, a fleet of of destroyers that have to get across the atlantic and they have to get through this stretch where there uh there's no ability to have air cover and of course in that stretch there's german u-boats that uh launch attacks at the entire fleet and the greyhound ship captained by tom hanks's character is supposed to lead be the leading escorting ship, um, and the enti- all of their conversation over the radio, the way that they t- communicate with each other, is done in a very 
uh, authentic way, I would imagine, even though I don't know a whole lot about how that is handled. But through all that, we're told the story. It's all expository. Uh, On the flip side, I think exposition is very naturally written into the story and dialogue of Apollo 13. Mm. Um, I was interested watching it this time. It's always been one of my favorite movies. We will fillet it to um, an extreme, I'm sure, as we go through this podcast. But I don't think I ever quite pinpointed exactly what made this movie work and why it's so interesting. And I, I settled on the idea that it's all exposition, but it's done in such a subtle and interesting way. So I want to kick it off with that and like the, the two styles of exposition that are used in these movies and just kind of explore that idea. Yeah, I don't know. Is it technically exposition, especially in Greyhound, if literally the communication between each other, the only thing they really say to each other is what's happening because they have to communicate it to each other? Isn't that exactly it's, what exposition is? No, because exposition is more explaining it to the audience. There's a there's a reason that they're having this dialogue. They have to tell each other what's happening with these Nazi subs, so they are communicating it within the world of the of Greyhound. So I don't mm-hmm. know if it exactly is exposition, and it's almost the same way in Apollo 13 because they they are explaining it to each other and not. Not in a way that seems to pander to the audience. You know, it's not like, oh, we need, they literally have to, they have to get those words out to be able to. Well, you know what they do really, really well. I think that makes it good exposition. Right. But you know what they do really well in Apollo 13 that I've never really noticed before this viewing is the newscasts. The real news programs that were airing during that time are cut into the movie to do just that, to do exposition, to bridge gaps between our knowledge of stuff. And, um, you know, like sometimes that can feel, I forget what movie we were talking about recently that does that a bunch, but um, like in a movie like Black Klansman, it can feel very intentional and, you know, making a point. Like look Mm -hmm. look at David Duke and he's still around in uh, 2017. but in this film, it feels very natural. Like you don't, like you start, I was even wondering if like. You're totally transported. Yeah. Yeah. Is this, did they make these for the film? I didn't necessarily know uh, it was, but I think for the almost entirely all of that is the real footage. And so you feel like it, it provides this sort of first benefit of, you know, telling you how everything is working, which is obviously very complex. It's about um, the Apollo program, but then it kind of at, as a sort of secondary um, benefit it makes you fully engrosses you in that time period you know with like what the newscasters are wearing and the way they're talking and their hair and the quality of the image um, mm-hmm. and so I think that's really really effective and there are some you know moments of especially for a know-it-all like me about the space program where I'm like okay well well that's you know that's why are they saying that but for the most part that that those newscasts are so smart really I mean um. Yeah, and I I wonder if that was in the original script. Like you know, it's it, I I doubt they I doubt that it is. I mean, it, you know, yeah, getting it's a hard a, thing to write. Yeah, or it's a bold, it's a bold thing to write. Be like, okay, just then cut to Walter Cronkite footage. Right. right. <laughs> um, on that point, I think it, it it's sort of the opposite in Greyhound, in that 
even though they're speaking a language that is time period appropriate and procedurally appropriate, that whole movie did not transport me to the time period, um, which is one of the issues I had with it. Um, but the exposition piece of it, the idea that they're going to tell this story basically through the chain of conversations that they have with each other and with the other ships kind of exclusively, I thought was an interesting idea and a new idea. Um, I don't know that we've really ever seen a war movie or really any movie told that way entirely. And that's why that movie's only an hour and a half. It's sort of like a slice of wartime life rather than a movie with an arc. So how, Chapin, how far are we into this podcast? 20 minutes? Yeah. Uh, 15 minutes. Yeah. 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's probably gone far enough to the point where I, I just want to say like, I think Greyhound may be the worst movie we've reviewed on this podcast. But we did Larry Crown at one time. Awesome. I never saw. I wasn't part of that. I don't think. Yes, you were. Me, you, and Brantley. You just forgot oh, it because it was so I just bad. Forgot it. We had I, conversations about walking out. Well, also, a Tom you, Hanks movie. If you want to try to tie it to exposition, you could just say, "Well, at least the exposition led to the point where you cared about the characters in Apollo 13. Like we were, we were rooting for somebody. Whereas Greyhound." I'm not even entirely sure it was a movie. Like, yeah, I don't, it didn't feel like one. It did not feel like a movie. I don't know, sort of what I was watching. I it felt like, it felt like the, the story parts of a video game. You know, when you like <laughs> yeah. transition yeah, in between scenes, <laughs> um, or or more of like a a, a History Channel recreation. Totally. Than yep. than a movie. Uh, the dialogue was, if you want to call that exposition, it was exposition. But it was literally they they added they they skinned they said that movie. Twice. They skinned that movie to basically its bones, and you had the same minute and thirty seconds over and over and over again. I know it was only eighty eight minutes, but twenty minutes in, I was rooting for the Nazis to end it. I really wanted that. The Nazis to that came on the radio that said, "Greyhound, yeah. we are going to kill all yeah, of get- you." <laughs> um, it was that bad. I, I, I didn't know. I had no investment in any of those characters. They tried to do something with Tom Hanks's character at the beginning with some love interest, but that was as close to any sort of background or um, character development that we got. It, even well. Yeah, I want to say something about that piece with Elizabeth Shue's character that most of which is either on the cutting room floor or just they didn't think to write into the movie more. Uh, there's a there's a trend or there's a there's something about Tom Hanks movies, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but most of the time he he's a character that has to go away. You think about Apollo 13, Greyhound, Captain Phillips, Castaway, all of these movies. And there's always this scene at the beginning with his wife or girlfriend or something. And Captain Phillips and this one both were very similar, where it was just this awkward scene 
with his wife and then you never really see her. You never really get any information from it. You also never really like they in Captain Phillips, they're talking about like their kids soccer practice or something like that. It's yeah, it doesn't really work. And it's just like this underdeveloped relationship that is in his movies. And then you have the flip side where he has the relationship with Helen Hunt or his relationship with his wife and Paul 13 and things like that. But there's always the left behind wife that a lot of times in his movies, it just never makes it into the story. And in this case, like some other movies, it hurts. It hurts the movie because there's introducing a relationship, introducing the possibility of an arc or something, and it's not there. Yeah, it's not even close to it there. Was, it's a it flat just, line. It was. It had absolutely nothing to do with this movie. I don't know no, why that they movie put it in. flatlined from the beginning. I I, I get yeah, what the, they were trying the, to do and just do a procedural and nothing else, but that does not make a movie. Yeah, it's an episode of a TV show. If that. At least have some character development, but even between the guys on the the ship, like all you got out of that was, I think he'd been around for a while. He, he made it through the. No, he the, had. It was his first uh, crossing. crossing. He says at the end, no, you, but, might not have, you might not have made it. <laughs> his first crossing, but he had been oh, yeah, in the a... navy for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, man. I just I I was so desperate for something else to happen. It was like, it, you know, the submarine would come up. There'd be an attack. They'd there'd be a near miss. They'd maybe blow up blow up one, and then next, and then some, which seemed kind of racist. Uh, cook would come and serve him some food, and the dad, uh, the dad from Last Black Man in San Francisco. Yeah, was that and, who that was? Yeah, was he, that? Yeah, I mean that whole part seemed awkward, to, and then he died and then another one came in and i think he mistook him for the first he one he did it was so racist he called <laughs> him the other so name racist. Wait, he you're them cleveland the who i know died in the last scene but <laughs> yeah. it's like nope that's not me but that's i mean they were planning those little uh like he had i mean i think he was clearly sleep deprived which we knew right but they yeah. were planning these little things as if he may have some like mental acuity issues but nothing ever came of that. You know, like, he or knew that thing. guy was dead. Why did he call him by his name? <laughs> yeah. Didn't it? Uh, was there nobody at Apple that could tell Tom Hanks this movie just didn't have? Okay. Can most I, well, can it, I got deli- it got delayed like three years. Okay. So can I just say somebody something? Was... <laughs> I'm raising my hand. I'm raising my hand. Okay. Go so for it. Apple bought this movie like recently. Yeah. So they were going to release it, and then COVID happened, and then Apple bought it. And Apple bought this movie for $70 million. And wow. too much. This is, that's about the same that Disney paid for Hamilton. Now, I have a question. When you finished this movie, did anything... I mean, like put aside that it's the worst movie we've ever reviewed for the Get Your Phone <laughs> Fix podcast. I don't know that that's necessarily true, but... It's up there. What... What about this movie made you go, yeah, we got to plunk down 70 million for this? Tom like, Hanks. Nothing. But, but nothing. it's not even like a good, charming th- Tom Hanks movie. There's no. nothing, there's nothing exciting about, I mean, the film is, the, the, the film is a, is a, is a procedural well, explanation of naval warfare. And it does that with sort I of middling special effects, which are, are still kind of like, once you sort There's of some surrender, good visuals in this movie. Yeah. yeah, once you surrender yourself to the fact that like you're not going to get the top of the line stuff here, 
you know, there's some, <laughs> there's some interesting, there's some interesting. You have to really visuals. surrender yourself. But you know so what I mean. I have, like, a, I have a theory. Um, Apple TV Plus has not been the most impressive streaming launch. Um, they haven't no, had a lot. Let's of, make it worse. Well, they haven't had a lot of good content. Um, their original content. I mean, I, I literally, I got Apple TV Plus to watch Defending Jacob. Of which I watched one episode and gave up on it. So there was it's, it. It's, was it the locations? What was it? It was, was just so the locations. Yeah, what it, <laughs> just what specifically mess. didn't you like about this? <laughs> the acting. It was terrible. Yeah. It was un- unwatchable acting. Um, but I think they looked at a movie that's a World War II action drama starring Tom Hanks. That I know okay. Hanks was like all in. On promoting, like he he was really disappointed that this movie no, went to streaming but, services and it couldn't be. In the, look, of right, course yeah. he, of course on he's paper, going to be. On paper, that sounds good, but then you, but you, you all can, you have to do is watch, watch the, the movie. movie. Yeah, you just all watch you have to do the is movie, watch it. and then you—that's the benefit you have of these situations. You can say, "Oh, this isn't Hamilton worldwide yeah. phenomenon. This is a middling Tom Hanks so movie." Late. Do you do you think it was like oh there's we have this opportunity to get this Tom Hanks movie about World War II and they're like holy shit how much do they want they want seventy mil seventy million uh, should we watch it Tom Hanks World War II just do it's it gotta just be seven, that, you know that's, Ryan. we don't need to watch it you know that it? Seinfeld episode where where Kramer sues the tobacco company and he goes and sits down he's like we're gonna give you or no he sues the coffee company and like we're gonna give you a year. Uh, a year of free coffee and he's like I'll take it and they were going to say after that a bunch of money that he didn't get so that that was how the conversation went where it was like we got a Tom Hanks movie at seven for yeah. 70 million I'll take it and then they're like hey we should watch it boss imagine this World War 2 Tom Hanks <laughs> yeah naval they, ships they, oh my god 70 no, they million. didn't even get to naval ships they actually thought they were buying Saving Private Ryan oh um, man okay. this movie was here's bad. the deal first scene first scene when they track are, are tracking the sub <sighs> i thought was i'm so bored by this i we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna move on to apollo 13 because i'd like to spend at least two or three hours talking about that movie um the first no. scene when they when this they get into to this area where they have no air support yeah. and they're trying to track the sub and they're doing this dialogue where the sonar person is relaying a message to one guy who's relaying it to Hanks, why Hanks can't just have the headphones on? As a, I feel like I could have told them to do that back then, and we would have been more efficient. But uh, that scene I thought was was pretty good. All right, you had some decent visuals. I know Chapin mentioned the CGI is not great, but like it, it's some good visuals, some good action, and some good suspense. And I watched that scene, and that was about half hour into the movie, if that. And I was like, okay. And I knew what this movie was about. And that scene ended, and then I was kind of what you said, Jeremy. I was like, okay, so now what are they going to do? And so they, do it they again. play it back, run it again, yeah. <laughs> and they just kept doing it. It's like, it's like uh, for another sports analogy, it's like a football play that they just can't stop running yeah, again. Run it again. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and the best scene to me like was... They had there was this overhead shot with a torpedo coming, and you could see the torpedo and the the battleship like yeah like coming that in. Shot. Yeah, I mean literally that's what I'm reaching for. I mean, and the oil spills on the on the water that just looked like the 
the shimmer or something. Like it just looked really bad. That was so bad. It was so bad. I was like, uh, I mean, get BP out there. They could at least put some real oil. So again, I think that this movie was aiming for authenticity. Um, so maybe this is true. <laughs> maybe this is true to fact, but <laughs> how did they miss the submarine so much? They're just like nonstop firing these cannons at the submarines and just keep missing. Well, the, like, when, and how did when they get close to them? That that is actually an error I read. That they're able to they're able to position the ship so that it can sway down, and they could have hit it in that particular situation. Okay. All right. So if you had to describe the story of this to somebody, what would the like the actual story, not what happens? Like, what's the story? So what's the character? What happens? They're a captain, making a crossing. Yeah, a captain they're has to navigate cr- dangerous and they're waters attacked during in, World War Two. They're attacked. They're attacked by a, by a, a wolf a pack. pack. A wolf. A wolf. A wolf pack of U-boats, and they sink a couple. Like all it, right. So it, it's the game battleship. Yeah, okay. I mean, they I literally, I literally thought that, and like, okay, that's so funny you said that because I literally thought I was like, this is like Battleship, but I'm like, well, they already made that movie, and they involved aliens for some reason. I think I didn't see it, but I'm like, to make it more interesting. Here's the deal: if they had adapted the game Battleship and made this movie, we would have liked this movie better. Why? Because our expectations of the game Battleship being adapted into a movie would be like zero. And then we would have seen this and be like, okay, that works. But instead it was like... I don't know, I don't know like, what that means. I don't know what that means, but... I don't think, I don't think anything would have saved this. Even my expectations of a real-life Battleship movie. I like I this mean, better even than Hanks, you Even Hanks himself. If I never... If he was this was the good. first movie yeah. I've ever seen with him, I'd be yeah, like, Yeah, you'd be guy, like, who the fuck is this guy? He'll never work again. That guy can't yeah. act. Oh, man. Where did they we get haven't, him? <laughs> all right. Do either of you guys know who directed this? We haven't mentioned his name. <laughs> uh, hold on. Let me just pull Aaron it up. Aaron Schneider. Yeah. Who's he? Yeah, I... Well, so I was in, going into this podcast. I was like, I was like, if we spend a significant amount of time talking about Greyhound, I want to, I want to talk about it as an, I want to talk about it as an Aaron Schneider movie, not a Tom Hanks movie, because it's inevitably going to be called a Tom Hanks movie when Aaron Schneider's the director. But, you know, like, well, I don't, Lee, I don't know you... what to say about this guy. Like, like uh, this movie does. I don't know how to describe this thought, but you mentioned it, Jeremy, is that it didn't feel like a movie. Like yeah, it just no. And that's it, that was the thing about it, is that I was I was struggling the whole time. I'm like, what piece is missing that makes a movie a movie? Story. Like some sort of story. A sto- well, some an story. Arc, maybe. <laughs> an arc. Some sort of arc. Well, so yeah. that's what I thought. So I said I was like, there's no character arc. There's no like battle won or lost really. They just get through this. But that's okay, right? This could, there's like this movie could just be like a slice of battle life, but which is like, what I think they to, try to do. But compare it to a movie that does that so well in in Dunkirk, where it, they yeah, just totally. have to sort of get yep. through it, and it's you don't even know those people's names, but that is such an intense experience because you know Christopher Nolan knows what, how to Chris, like how movies work. We should whereas, do Christopher Nolan whereas, versus uh, Aaron Schneider. Aaron Schneider here is just like, all right, so we're going to strip from this script anything resembling any form of human 
connection or interaction or story or, you know, what are those things people like about movies? Um, <laughs> take it away. Take it Characters. away. Let's, let's try this. Yeah. Did you notice they like totally bit the score from Dunkirk? Like, oh my God. Did you guys really? notice Did, that? I didn't even notice. No. Oh. So I, I read off, I read off Tom Hanks resume from 1992 to 2002. Don't read Aaron Schneider's. Who cares? No, I'm not reading Aaron Schneider's. I read, I read Tom the man, Hanks' acting The man resume. shot Simon Birch. He should be directing movies, for Christ's sakes. <laughs> and Into the Storm, that's where he got all his... Uh, I feel like Greyhound is what you wanted the Mission Impossible to be. Yeah, but it's so bad. Me? No, it's worse. No, late. Because it's worse because... There's not even anything that we. There's not even a scene that we can go to and say why was this scene in the movie, like. Well, it, any scene past what you described, why was it in the movie? Yeah, but Hanks. This is what's interesting about Tom Hanks. Amazing actor, amazing resume. Rubbish writing, writer, rubbish. Director. Writing and directing credits are that thing you do, Larry Crown and Greyhound. <laughs> that thing you do was fine. It's fine, right? But. Yeah, Larry it's Crown fine, but the only reason Larry we remember Crown it is Greyhound, because it's the movie Tom Hanks directed. Larry Crown, Larry Crown and Greyhound are arguably the two worst movies that have ever been discussed in 200 episodes of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, Tom Hanks. <laughs> well done, well done. But listen, Tom Hanks is also the star of what I think for me may be a top 20 movie of all time in Apollo 13. That's not like... That's not shocking. If not anyone, more, if I don't not, think. If not top yeah. ten, like I, it's just I don't know where to place it. Um, I went back and looked at my my top one hundred list that we made when we compiled it for the Get Your Film Fix website, and yeah. it was a criminally low, like seventy one or something like that. I don't know what the Jeez. fuck I was thinking. Well, all right. So saying that, I'd like to frame this. I do have some things that w- watching it this time I had issues with. So should we get that out of the way? Yeah, please. Does that I'd work love for to you, know Chapin, because I know you had some questions, Chapin. But if that works for you, we'll do that. That would be great. I mean, mine is a little bit of a negative question too, so I'll I'll go after Jeremy. Okay. All right. So the first thing I really this how is the only dare thing you I, I disliked about this movie was the score and Ugh. the similarities of this score no. to the sort of beginning and end bookends of Saving Private Ryan. Um, with Wrong. the t- sort of taps, and I, I really didn't like that. Um, I think the women characters could have been fleshed out a little bit because they had an important role in this movie. I think they could have been fleshed out a bit. Um, I definitely could have done without the sort of vision of him landing on the moon, that weird, like, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, dream sequence almost. Yeah, yeah. That's a waste of half a million dollars for sure. Yeah, that was that was not needed. Um, and this is not a problem. I just because I loved him in this, but I I did sort of ask myself at the end of it, like, what did what was Ed Harris's job really? Because I always remember him I, talking to the Apollo uh, well, astronauts. He's he on the radio. Commander. No, I get it, but what he is runs he? The room. He, de- he runs the room. Okay, so I get that, but he he doesn't like come up with any solutions in this. And he's not the one that figures anything out, and he never talks to the astronauts. The only thing I'll accept in what you said is the the scene where Hanks lands on the moon. Everything else, 
I, you like I that dismiss. score? That score was distracting. Score? No, not okay. This is this is the best feel good ending in movie history for me, and it's a large part due to that score. And I, I think the score like is am- I think it- the score is amazing in this movie. James Horner, I think this is so good. I love the score in this movie. I, I would not say a bad thing about it. I will open this conversation on Apollo thirteen. By saying that it will be difficult to I, I convince me that there's it. anything wrong with it. this movie. No, but I will int- int- intro my thoughts to say that it'll yeah. be difficult to convince me that there's anything wrong with this movie. So the fact that I'm accepting that that scene when Hanks, you know, imagines landing on the moon maybe wasn't necessary. I mean, to be fair a, to you that... <laughs> <laughs> to be fair to you that that score was then ripped off, I guess, by Saving Private Ryan because this came first. Sure. Um... But yeah, and it wasn't the entirety of the score. It was that sort of taps aspect of the score. I really think was a bit cheesy and over the sure. top, and I could I, I could have done without the the Ed Harris thing. You're I don't know if you should be allowed to speak on the podcast anymore. I didn't say anything negative. I said he was great in it, but ultimately he never contributed anything other than to tell people to be quiet and said, "What are we going to do to get our guys from here to here?" And then everybody else figured it out. In my mind, he. He had figured all he this stuff out. He did the whole out. thing. <laughs> um, Chapin, what do you got? So uh, it's not really a direct criticism, but I, I did watch this, and we did watch Greyhound. And I've always felt... It's a better. Li- it's a better li- than Greyhound. It is better than Greyhound. I've always felt a little bit of guilt, and I don't know if we want to get into this kind of discussion now, especially you, Lee, because I know you love this, and I too think it's... I, I would love much rather take apart Apollo 13 and, and understand why it's so good. But I do think that as you guys remember, when we talked about um, Dunkirk, I think I expressed to you guys that I felt that it had been underserved by the Academy in any other year that movie should have swept the Academy Awards. But, you know, we were in the wake of the Trump election, etc. I, I do look back at movies like this that are almost exclusively straight white men doing things heroically, and it's hard for me to view them the way I used to. And I don't want to make it like a political thing, but I used to think, <laughs> I used to think like the you know the Apollo program was like this big achievement for white people but that's not even true like they're as we know from the brilliant film hidden figures there was a lot of black women that had a lot to do with us getting to the moon and uh women in general were doing a lot how do you know how do you know they were all straight white men that's true that's true half that half that room could have been gay that's true i don't think they were out though could be wrong what about what about the guy that uh suits up tom hanks a good event He's a German. He's, yeah, but yeah. you know, those those are guys. Th- that's worse than being white at that time. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, <laughs> that guy was uh, actually we, probably a Nazi. <laughs> we we walk and talk on the moon. Uh, uh, that's an no, interesting thought, and it's fair. I I don't. It's just like doesn't doesn't this feel like and 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 just like I guess like the throwaway cut to the you know. <laughs> The women working on the math in the background wouldn't would not suffice, and 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 I don't know that this movie is wrong, but it just it seems like even twenty five years ago we had a better grasp of 
that kind of stuff than is evident here. But it was also it probably was pretty accurate to what that room looked like. I bet if you took no, you're you're absolutely right. A, a shot, a photo of what that room looked like in that time, it probably looked exactly like that. And, and this I, is the I other thing. Totally right. This is the other thing is that there were undoubtedly a lot more people involved in this than what we see whether it was people of color whether it was women what regardless but this movie already spends a lot more time than a a a typical movie of its ilk would do developing characters in this movie that normally wouldn't be developed that i love that fact that amongst the characters in mission control you you have some pessimists represented some optimists represented you have uh, a character that comes right out and says, you know, if, if if they don't get there, then they blow up and they die. Like, they have that guy. They have a guy who, uh, the guy that designed the Lem, that's sort of kind of looking out for himself. Like, these are all small little character developments that... He's the he's the Grumman rep. He didn't design it, but yeah, right, I know you. But yeah. you, they have all these, these character development pieces that are small, but a lot of movies like this wouldn't bother with. And the fact that this movie does takes up screen time, and it ends up being important and crucial to the, the, how good this movie is. But I don't know how much further beyond that they could have gone. No, Whereas I, maybe they leave the room. There's another, you know what I mean? Like, And I think that's, that's important to keeping this movie kind of contained. And also, again, maybe this is some bias talking. I do think, not, I don't want this to sound bad, but I think this movie, even if it wasn't necessarily accurate, I think this movie transcends that argument in that this movie I think is right. about I, these three people and the people that helped them get home. And I think you're right. It's not there to say like, like a movie like hidden figures that say, Hey, here's the forgotten people that helped this happen. It's right. about the people we know that, but, but Jeremy's right. Happen. Like the, the women, I mean, I guess, I mean, uh, Kathleen Quinlan was nominated for this film and Tom, actually Tom Hanks I wasn't, think, which I think, Quinlan's really good in this movie. I think she's I, good, I but she's, so she's not, but she doesn't, like, her character isn't, is, she's just, I, I don't know that that she's the character would pass the, wife. Would she's pass the, the distressed wife, test, and she you know, makes like, the best, she makes the best of what she has, and again, it's about screen time, it's about how much, you know, the filmmakers, how much Ron Howard wants to dedicate to it, he, the, she is not the story, but at the same time, I feel like she they could have done a little bit more with her. I think they give her so much more than they do than they do like giving someone like um, in First Man, um, Claire Claire Foy. No, like, come on, she's a she. I like Claire Foy, but in this movie, the best example is the scene when she's taking the shower and she loses her ring, and it's just this it's just this small kind of allegorical scene of the stress that she is put through as the person left behind. There's a lot of dialogue about that too. Like she's not going to go to the launch. The other wives haven't done four. She has to explain to, um, to Bill Paxton's wife about how to go through this. And, and you have Bill Paxton's wife who's pregnant dealing with this. So I think there's actually a lot of, in a small amount of screen time, there's a lot of thought into what it was like to be these people that are left behind. And I don't know. I I disagree. I, maybe there's could have been more, but I think that for a two and a half hour movie about that isn't about them, this movie gives them their their due time and their due credit. I think you're right. I mean, I, I think you're right. I, I'm just I'm more just bring that up because I I don't think I don't think this movie is in any way problematic. I just think that it's 
your your viewing of it, my viewing of it is a little bit hazy. It's a little disrupted by that. That's it. That's all, that's all I'm that's saying. That's fair. That's fine. Well, let's talk about why this movie ultimately works. And uh, just, I'll just, just put it out there. So smart. I'll just put it, just, I don't know. The stakes are so perfectly articulated to the audience. And we care about the characters so much that the way that it sort of divvies out the stakes throughout the movie, sort of like just spreading it out a little bit at a time um, until you get to whether they make it or not. That's, that's why this movie is so good because it takes the, the time to do that and do that so well. Well, and there's another big piece too, and we can talk about some of them individually and we'll talk about, and, and let's exclude Hank's, for the sake of saving our, our top five, this this is for everybody else in this movie. It's their best they've ever been. It's the best performance that every other actor has ever performed uh, in this movie. Bill Paxton, well, Kevin Bacon, Gary Sinise, Ed Harris, everybody. I don't think any of these actors has ever been better in another movie. I, I'll, I'll go so far as to say I think they're all at the top of their game. I wouldn't. I don't know that I've yeah. done done the thinking to completely agree with you, but. I mean, I haven't really either, to be honest. Like, I, I if I went through everyone, maybe like I'd say, oh, oh, right, that one. But you're right; they're all at the top of their game. This is, uh, and because like what I described about this movie being kind of expository in many ways, the fact that the acting is so good is what allows that to be so natural, and for the script to be portrayed to us in such an intelligent way, and such a natural way, and such an entertaining way. Because the acting is so good, and I think that makes a huge difference. I mean, I agree. I I I I, I was particularly moved by, uh, or, or or I found um, Kevin Bacon's performance really so good. I I didn't remember how good he was. In this. He's so good, and and I don't. I mean, I like Kevin Bacon, but I don't think of him as being like a fantastic actor. But he is in this. Like he's yeah. and, and so like the. You know, you. I think what's so kind of interesting about this movie is that you spend. You know, we don't. We're not blasting off. We're not till that blast off scene until thirty minutes into a. You know, not a terribly long movie, and um, you have a real sense of all of them. Like you know, Swigert is kind of a, a ladies' man, and he I, may be underprepared. And I love when um, when Bill Paxton says, "I think old Swigert gave me the clap." <laughs> from pissing at his thing jokes and jokes so many jokes in this movie i didn't get when i was yeah right n- 11 <laughs> <laughs> and uh and i mean again that's one of the things you learn from like that that like old tonight show broadcast or whatever it is whoever that guy is from yeah the, um you know bringing nylons and hershey's to <laughs> to the, <laughs> the moon, moon. Yeah. but uh <laughs> And, you know, you get the sense that, you know, Paxton is, uh, Fred Hayes is kind of a good old boy. And then, you know, Tom Hanks is this, like, you know, family man, charming guy, as we think. And then they get up there and they get pressured and they're in this tin can for, you know, uh, fighting for their lives. And that starts to break down and you start to see, like, real performances from them. Yeah, and, but the thing is it starts to break down, but their characters never really break. And that's the no. amazing part. Yeah. And th- there's like, this script is able to 
show the audience these guys both in like up in space and the ones in mission control that are selfless without there being the combative scene like everything yeah. has to be calm and people have well, to figure out how to do it and there's very few of the how is this going to help me and then look at what he's trying to do because blah, blah, blah. there's there's a little of that there's sprinklings okay. of it that's why ed harris is there not just his performance that's why the person of gene Kranz is there jeremy the problem people where everybody starts arguing because there are scenes where they all start yelling mm-hmm. at each other and so let's hold it down people let's hold it down one at a time people one at a time I get that. I just thought he actually did more of the either the, the <laughs> figuring out the stuff. He was or there. He's, a, he's lassoing. To, he's lassoing the the he was command also module. In the, from also the, in the simulators. <laughs> I mean, how good do you feel when Gary Sinise walks into that control room and starts talking to them um, on the headset? Like, how yeah. that's so cool. There's like, so many like, scenes like that. How good so do you feel scenes. when he gets to the simulator and they say good to see it? Like, there's yeah. so many scenes. This. There's so many feel-good scenes in this movie, and it's that feel-good that that you mentioned, Jeremy, about Hanks in particular playing characters that are good at their job and like being the person that goes to the room and you feel calm down. There's a lot of that in this movie where you feel comforted by yeah. the the expertise that these characters have, and not only that, the the expertise, but the the effort that you know they're gonna give. Well, yeah, also their, their dedication to that. Yeah. I mean, they are their their selflessness. Um, I, before I'd love to talk about Howard um, in a second, but I'd love to ask you guys something. In a film that isn't very, uh, I mean, it's fantastic. What to, you know, everything we've said, great, such a well made movie, but it doesn't have much of a. It may it doesn't have much of a point of view, but I did notice this time that there are these moments where. Uh, it feels like the filmmakers are a little bit critical of, I don't know what it is exactly, but there are these little moments where you, you know, you, you, there's this very obvious reverence for the space program, you know, best represented by the blast off of the Saturn five, like, and that score, which we've debated, I think is pretty well done there. And you just feel like the power and the, the pride and the this the this the groundbreakingness of this moment and but then there are these weird moments where like <laughs> you know Gene Kranz turns on the overhead projector and it just fizzles out and they're like oh it's as if they <laughs> I know, all know they they all know that that's gonna happen and like oh here we are and then and they, like, we're they, gonna take care of that for you Gene I wanted this, somebody to be like not right now <laughs> this and he pushes it off to the other side and then like the square peg into a round hole like you know they call yeah. it, tell me this is like, a government that, yeah, uh, yeah. and so, so there's yeah. little things like that that made me feel like. And then like the, the the all the stuff with the flight sur- surgeon, the flight surgeon doesn't comes out of this with a lot of okay, pretty bad. Can I, can I <laughs> yeah. ask a question yeah. about that? This is this wait, wait, is. Wait, wait, wait. You don't okay, answer my ahead. question yet. Okay. Do you think this movie has like a? Is this movie critical of NASA in a weird way? Like, is there, what are these little? What are those little moments? What is the sort of sum total of that? I don't think this movie has an agenda like that. I think okay. that, that I think that this that's there to show that it's just not all perfect like these are flawed systems like this isn't this isn't like a a well-oiled perfectly oiled machine that broke and now they have to fit like i feel like the broken projector and the the 
square peg in the round hole is there to say, we have to brainstorm. We have to figure this out. We don't have an answer for this because we've done things before that don't work perfectly. Yeah, because if if everything just sort of worked perfectly, the suspense would be not to, or, or be just a little bit less. So the first time I saw this movie, another instance where I just remember it so, so vividly, it was not in the theater. It was at home. Uh, I, I watched it with my parents on VHS. <laughs> Think, think old Chapin gave me the clap. <laughs> Watched it with my parents on VHS, and I did not know this story. I was wow. probably, so this came out in 1995. I saw it on VHS, so I was probably 12, okay? I did not know the story. I did not know what happened at the end. So the suspense was always there, and I remember literally saying during the four-minute wait, uh, the four-minute blackout at the end. I remember kind of saying out loud to my parents, as as one would do kind of when you're dealing with the anxiety of not, of not knowing what's going to happen, saying, well, they made a movie about it, so they have to survive. But I don't know, maybe because it was so close. Like, they just they thought they would survive, and they didn't. And I remember having this conversation with them. I don't know if it was a conversation. I think I was just talking. They were probably just like, shut the fuck up. But <laughs> <laughs> They're fun. they'll be finally. But that suspense that you're talking about, is there and it has to be there because you see through all these things and even if as a 12 year old i was realizing this subconsciously that they didn't have all the answers that they didn't do everything perfectly so maybe they didn't figure out a way to do it and they have some lines of dialogue at the at the end they have there's the heat shield there's the parachutes maybe three blocks of ice there you know they may be coming in too shallow you never know then not to mention the typhoon warning and you know it could be the worst tragedy nasa's ever faced and so they tell us that maybe it all didn't work. And that continues to create the suspense, again, through this brilliantly written and brilliantly performed exposition. Okay. But I did wonder, back to the flight surgeon, he's got this screen in front of him with three lines that are the, the, the level, the, the heart rates yeah, and such. Yeah, after the, the, after the so first one. I, took I, and he's like, oh, I just lost level. And they're like, I'm not wearing my biomed sensors. And then they all take him off. Now I'm losing all three of them. And he's like, it's all right, cut him some slack. So the flight surgeon could go home now, right? What He has nothing else to do. <laughs> I do think that's weird that he was sort of the, portrayed to be, like, he's the bad guy. They almost, like, needed a bad guy. Yeah. So... <laughs> Have it be him, like have it be the guy who didn't want, the, want Gary Sinise yeah. to get get measles. So imagine that's if like logical. The, the three of them got coronavirus <laughs> at the same time. That little capsule, yeah. like, they're rounding the mood. Yeah, but they were, like I don't know if, if this was exaggerated or not, but he said that, that Hayes is running a fever of a hundred and four. Yeah, that would fucking knock you out, and he's still like up there working. <laughs> It's kind of nuts. And, and yeah, and he but, had to do a lot of uh, that, things that would be difficult to do with 104. That was the fever. other. I had like a little list of like these nitpicks, some of which are just don't have anything to do with the movie. I've always wondered why they, they needed to always identify themselves to each other. Like they're only talking to each other. So why do they always have to be like, this is Odyssey, this is Houston? <laughs> like, no shit. But then. The other thing, but when they do the burn, the manual burn, Hank says, uh, all right, this is going to take all three of us. Fredo, you're going to take that. Um, Fredo, with your 104 temperature, you're going to take that one, and you're going to go aft. It's all reversed, so you need to do this. I'll take this one. Jack, the pilot, 
you keep time. Yeah. <laughs> Why yeah, is he, he not he's, flying? He's not trained to fly the, the limb. Ah, oh, shut up, Chapin. I don't want to hear your <laughs> your answer. They're all pilots. They're, but shouldn't why? Not, uh, but he's not trained to fly that thing. Well, how much different is it? Well, a lot. A lot different. All right. Okay. So that answers that brilliant movie. I mean, I'm defending. I'm defending your movie. You're telling me to shut up. Who do you think you are? Well, I thought it was strange that he's like, it's going to take all three of us, and then the pilot. Who, and they even have this scene where Hanks like takes the pilot seat. And, get, and then gives it back to, to but that's Kevin in Bacon. The other, that's in the other... I know. Okay. You know I get anything? it, Chapin. But <laughs> don't you know anything about space travel? All right, well, I just let's, thought it was uh, strange that he's like, these three, we're going to take all three of us. You use the stopwatch, Jack. Like, so far we've talked about how this works with sort of the story aspects and the stake aspects. But let's actually, Lee, I'm sorry. I got to say, I think, I think you're right. I actually don't think that he flies... He's not supposed to, I don't think you actually fly the lem at all. I think it's all I, automatic. And then it, and then the the other the lead guy steps in. So I'm sorry. I think you're right. Yeah, so Brendan, this movie sucks. Well, uh it's worse than great. Anyone anyone who works for worked for NASA give us um, a call 40 years ago, please <laughs> let us know. Well, they're um, both alive, Jim Lovell and uh and I'm sure they're listening to this podcast. <laughs> Friday's but anybody, why why the CM pilot can't do anything but keep a stopwatch when they're doing a manual burn on the LEM? Come on! Yeah, these are the sort of questions that Ron Howard needs to get yeah. on our podcast and answer. Anyhow, my question was, I wanted to bring Ron Howard into this thing because he was the fucking director. Yep. Um, so as far as that's concerned, I mean... How did his direction and particularly his pacing uh, add to the suspense in the sort of the film filmmaking aspects of this? So I, I, I was thinking a lot about that because in some ways this feels very much like a Ron Howard movie. The music, you know, it feels the, like a Spielberg movie. Well, it, it does that, too. But I was watching this and I was I was I was interested in how he was handling mood. I mean, also pacing, and those a lot of times can go hand in hand. And that was for sort of how I fell onto the exposition question that I asked you guys, because I was like, how is, how is he making this movie as tense as it is? Because he, while there's music and things like that, the music is there a lot of times in the feel-good moments. There's not a lot of, like, mood music in, in the traditional sense where... He does that to kind of like create suspense. I, so I was thinking about how he handled mood in this, and I, I think this is different in turn, like from what we're used to from him. And I don't know if I could pin down exactly what how he did it or what it was that he did, but I I, I do think that this was not typical Ron Howard. No. No, it, I mean, if you go back to like what we used to call the sort of Cinderella Man era of the yeah, Ron Howard mind, Oscar yeah. machine, this is a little different. This is more those scene those movies he seemed to make in a way that that elicited this sort of glossy like give me an Oscar feel. Whereas this movie served the story alone like it was it was made to serve this story and it wasn't 
there was no other sort of agenda behind that. Yeah, I think that's true. But I, I still, I don't, I, I don't know how he did it. I don't know how he created such tension in this movie. Like, the stakes, sure, but, like, just in terms of mood. Like, where did that come from in this movie? Well, I, I do think the music had a lot to do with it. The I think I, what I was sort of amazed by him this time was the way he's able to move his camera. He reminded oh, the, me a the lot. The sense of space is amazing in the he, in the spaceship. He, he uh, The way he moves the camera is so... It's I mean, it's Spielberg-esque, and, I mean, of course... You guys probably know this, but Spielberg was the one who gave them the idea to shoot up in the K-35 and real weightlessness, um, which I think, you know, at the time probably sounded like crazy movie shit, but boy, like, how effective was that? Like, I still I still don't, you know, with all the technology we have... Wait, where did they the, shoot it? They what shot they a lot of that stuff up in the in real weightlessness, in real zero gravity. Really? I didn't know that. Oh, my God. Lee, are you serious? I mean, I don't think I knew that. How do they, they do that? Where do so, they go to do so that? So NASA has a has a has a aircraft they, that flies. Per- <laughs> what? It'd just be funny if you said where do they go to do it. Oh, th- there's a room in Hollywood. They have a yeah. <laughs> they have a waitlist. <laughs> so I was like, why, why didn't, why didn't Nolan use there. that? <laughs> um, no, there's a there's a aircraft that NASA uses to train in zero gravity that flies these parabolums and you have like 25 seconds of weightlessness. You can do it in Vegas. It's like a tourist thing now, but um, they actually went up there and trained and then they were like, why don't we build us the set in here? And so they were in real weightlessness for a lot of those scenes in the, in the, um, in the capsules. I honestly like, I, I on it. So this is another example of just how captured I am by this movie. I never thought about it. I never thought about why the weight, why the zero gravity scenes worked. I just, I, it, this is oddly a movie I've never looked into the production of because this movie for me just is like it's my movie. Like I just, I, so well, I let compare it, be. it. Compare it to the other movie we're talking about on this podcast, Greyhound. As far as just how how good and detailed it looks. And it was made in 1995. I mean, yeah. everything from the space launch to to the zero G's to um, just the set itself and how detailed that seems to be. Whereas Crayhound feels like it was made on a computer somewhere in, you know. I think it's a really interesting point of, you know, sort of dichotomy that you bring up, Jeremy. Like this idea, like... In comparison to Greyhound, Apollo 13 is a, is a smaller story. It's contained in this really small spacecraft. Yep. And there's, you know, you see shots. I mean, obviously the Saturn V launch is incredible and iconic. And, you know, it looks a little, it looks it looks its age now, I think. But um, I think it's still a very effective sequence. It's still sequence. pretty good, yeah. It's really um, good. I- <laughs> but for the most part, you're watching, like, real stuff. And then you have this other movie that is because of the advances in visual effects and because they've gotten in some regards like cheap enough that you can essentially make an entire movie in a computer um for 50 million dollars you know like but the question is like should you 
Right. You no, know, yeah. like Greyhound. I don't know how you tell. That I don't question. know how you tell that story without it. Like if 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 we gave Nolan six hundred million dollars to make Greyhound, maybe he could do that in a real way, find all those real boats. But there's no way to make that movie without visual effects, and they found a way to do it in in Apollo 13 and, and, and incredibly did NASA grant them permission? Yes. They ton, must have tons of permission. I think that's because another really effective thing is that they're in these looks real like places. It. And so in terms of filmmaking, what's, what's really, really incredible about this movie is how we're able to navigate the spacecraft. I mean, they, this whole movie—they are—they're in the the CM. Then they're to move into the lunar module. Then they're—they're they're, one of them's in the command module. They're going to shut that down. Then they're back in the Lem. Lem's going to become a lifeboat. Then they're going back to the CM. They let the Lem loose. They look at the explode like It's back and forth and back and forth. And you always know where where they are. You always know what they're looking at. It's amazing how well he's able to capture the space and able to look. How you're able to see so much and understand so much about where these three people are in a very, very small space. I can't yeah, figure I mean, out where Harrison Ford is standing in Los Angeles in Blade Runner. But <laughs> but in this movie, you're able to see where these three characters are shoulder to shoulder in this small little area. It's really amazing. Yeah, there's two that aspect of it and the aspect of how he sort of used the ebb and flow of the more actiony scenes in comparison to the quiet moments that reminded me a ton of jaws of those three guys being on the boat and this that sort of space um both movies about blowing up oxygen tanks true <laughs> um i uh, i, I, I where, oh, i'm sorry were you done? Where jaws got the idea no yeah um, one of the things I, I, I think that it's important to point out about Ron Howard that I think later bites him in the ass in his later career, but he doesn't like overstuff this movie with like themes and, you know, mm-hmm. wild shots. And like, there's this one, there's this one cool shot where like Kevin Bacon pops up, you know, in the zero G's and then the camera goes, and it's kind of a cool, like action, action-y shot. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? He like pops up in between the two guys and the camera like flips Maybe um, I don't remember, but and, and it's it's cool and and but like for the most part he he just tells this story very straight in a very straightforward manner and I think that that that's smart and like it takes like a lot of I think um, it takes a lot of like humbleness to to sit back and say I'm just gonna let this story tell itself I'm gonna shoot the shit out of it but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like spin it in my little way like even even the best filmmakers would do something with would try to do something with this. And I think that'd be the wrong thing to do. The, yeah, this but is, it takes, this is an incredible takes, story and he does his best to tell it without like injecting himself into it. But he also doesn't do nothing, which no, that's is true. He he takes great filmmaking to be able to, I agree. There's to an incredible amount this. of dynamism in his filmmaking that, um, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, when we talked like, about with Aaron Brockovich, where Soderbergh just kind of left it alone and shot it traditionally. Like that's not really the case here. It's just no, not. He, it's he, just, is he doesn't using make the filmmaking space. front and center. Yeah, it's very much like Jaws in that aspect. It's like just the the use of the camera and the space and the isolation. Um, 
it's really masterful in this movie, which I, is... I told you guys I was watching Saving Private Ryan the other day, and there's these long, like, we've talked about the Spielberg oneers, but there are these long shots, and you have to... I mean, we've talked about this endlessly, so I don't want to go too much into it, especially because we're way over time, but, like, there are these, like, long, long, long shots, and there's, so, there's a lot of them in that movie, and, and there's a lot of camera movement, but you don't notice it. It's so organic, and I think that's what, what Ron Howard does here. He just... Like you, there's a, there's one shot that I had to rewind and make sure there wasn't any cuts, which speaks to like how fluid it is where you've got, I think it's, um, uh, his brother is emptying his pipe after they've like, you know, successfully got them into space. Um, the camera sort of overhead and he's, they're handing off to like the night shift of guys. The camera pulls back and you have this really nice shot of all these guys like replacing each other on their stations in mission control. Um, and he's using a techno crane, which I think at the time was a relatively new tool. And he's, it's just a, it's just such an amazing fluid shot. And like, I, I sort of revel at those things because that's a tool I just, I just don't have access to and probably won't have access to. Um, it's a very expensive tool. And so thinking about how to use it, I think is really creative and an underappreciated, um, you know, directorial quirk. I think it's like, if you know how to use this weird thing and put it into weird places and show like a fluid shot that isn't show offy, that tells a story, it really is a powerful tool. Yeah. It's so interesting because like, and I think we should have this conversation maybe on a different podcast, but what is more powerful and, and, and impressive? Is it that shot that you're talking about? Is that is it the Spielberg wonder that you don't notice? Or is it the Scorsese, Paul Thomas Anderson, look at me, steady cam? Yeah, I mean, that's true. I there, mean, yeah. what is, what's the answer? Or maybe it depends on the situation. But I think there's a lot to say for that. And I think this movie's full of shots that aren't look at me shots, but tell the story in a very technical and uh important way well and that's another thing that is that i think you can be critical of ron howard for is his tendency to manipulate you particularly with things like music and i said to you guys i think that this is the best feel-good ending in movie history when that blackout ends and hank says this is this is odyssey it's good to see you again and everybody cheers in that wide shot and the music cues and then he says this is Odyssey signing off, and Ed Harris says good job, and he's got these little tears in his eyes, everybody's shaking hands. Like, you could make the argument that that scene is manipulative, that it's it's trying to elicit something from you, but I don't think so. I think that is exactly how all those characters must have felt. Like, And I don't they, think there's a it problem was, with It was that. earned. It was earned. I wasn't it crazy was, about the VO after that, but... I don't, I, I don't love that. Okay, done. That's a piece I don't like, is the last, the little wrap-up at the end. Don't need it. Uh, Jim Lovell um, himself. Jim in Lovell's scene? in it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, to, to your point, Lee, I don't even remember the music in that scene. So, uh, it's so that's how... It's worse. No, no, right? I mean, yeah. no, it's a, it, it's a compliment yeah, to yeah, that. I got like, you. I don't yeah. remember, but I remember feeling like, holy shit, this is impactful. This is great. And I don't, I couldn't tell you what the music sounded like because it all sort of meshed together um, it's just such being a, show I think off. another smart thing he does is in the capsules, for the most part, I feel like they are obeying the laws of the of the space. And I think that probably had a lot to do with filming in the plane because <laughs> they had to build the set inside of a plane. Um, 
but there are a couple shots when they clearly had to remove a wall in there to shoot it. And because it's such a compact space, it sort of is a, an exception to the rule that shows the rule. Like you, he shows you those shots. I think just because like you, you want to see him straight on, but it, it throws you off a little bit because they're so kind of protective of that rule everywhere else. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I just best think Tom Hanks, best Tom Hanks performance. We got to move on guys. Well, we didn't, we didn't decide what was better. Apollo 13 or gray. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. The pool on me up to right now. What, what, what's it up to? Wait, what is it, uh, $300, is that it? $300? I'm a school teacher. I teach English composition. This little town called Adley, Pennsylvania. It's, uh, in the last 11 years, I've been at Thomas Alva Edison High School. I was a coach of the baseball team in the springtime. Back home, and I tell people what I do for a living, and they think, well, now that figures. But over here, it's uh, a big, big mystery. So I guess I've changed some. Sometimes I wonder if I've changed so much, my wife is even going to recognize me whenever it is I get back to her. And how I'll ever be able to to tell her about days like today. Moving on, top five definitive top five Tom Hanks performances. We compiled our list. We each put together a top eight, and then uh, compiled the highest scores to put together the final top five list. And we'll discuss those starting now with our number five, which just so happens to be the film we just discussed, Apollo thirteen. So number five, Jeremy, that was your number three. That was my number two. That was wow, Chapin's it, number nine or lower somehow. It wasn't even on his top? No. Wow. And I'd like to know what was missing maybe, Chapin, or is it just that there was eight better? Yeah, eight better. Just eight better? Or did you forget to rank it? No, 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 I didn't. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I think there's better ones that more stand out. So, this is I, I. Maybe a little bit of it comes from how much I love this movie, but and and this is him doing something that he does a lot, maybe as good as as ever. But there's nothing showy about this performance, and I think he just plays the character well. A lot of times, Hanks is Hanks. This is one of the few movies where Hanks is his character. Hanks is Jim Level in this movie to me. I don't watch this and think that's Tom Hanks playing Jim Level. I think this is Jim Level, and I think that deserves a lot of credit for somebody like John, Tom Hanks. See, I, I kind of think it is Hanks being the best Hanks that he can be. Where was this yeah. on your guys' list? Sorry. My number two. Uh, my number three. So 13 points total. All right, moving on, even right. though Chapin's wrong. Yep. Number four. Establish that. Receiving the same amount of points as Apollo 13, but on all three of our lists, is Philadelphia. This was Chapin's number two. This was Jeremy's number five. This was my number seven. 
All right, Chapin. When's the last time you've seen Philadelphia? Who's seen it the most recent? I guess I've seen it within the last year. I've seen it. Um, this 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 was a turning point for me, um, for Tom Hanks and my number eight first real dramatic role. Yeah. So my number eight was Sleepless in Seattle, which he and Meg. Well, that movie I don't. I'm not crazy about. I think it has its moments, but he and Meg Ryan are actually both really good in it. And he's really good in it, but he still he still has like I don't know what it is. He still has this like weird '80s haircut that he had, and like still kind of looks like a comedic actor. That you know the same kind of thing that we had with Big, and he escaped that with Philadelphia, and he took on just an entirely different persona, an entirely different type of role, and won the Oscar and, and nailed it. And I think it it changed the trajectory of his career. Yeah, uh, I are you you're you don't find it to be a good performance, Jeremy? No, I do. Oh, Jeremy's just, it was Jeremy had it higher than me. Oh, okay. Yeah, good. Um, I don't think it needs to be defended. Okay, great. <laughs> you can always tell when Chapin knows we're running running out of time. Sorry. Um. All right. Next up, number three on the list is Forrest Gump. Yeah. Uh, this was a surprise for me. I, I ranked it number three. Yeah, Jeremy had it at number two. I had it at number five. So here's my thing with Forrest Gump. If you put it on paper, it's it's nearly an impossible performance. Yeah. Like how do crazy. you how do you pull this off to be sort of a, like a mentally retarded or or borderline mentally retarded person we, we don't, i don't think we say that anymore no, you do. mentally handicapped you person you, i don't think you say that anymore either what do you say lee what do you say you say retarded what do they what do they call no you? you don't you don't you don't Chapin. You say a, a person who Chapin, no. just take it from me <laughs> take it from lee <laughs> i'm retarded he, he is retarded <laughs> jesus christ you can't um, say that Yes, you Whatever. Can. It's fine. He, uh, and then he has to travel through the most important parts of history. Like, it's just, it seems asinine on paper, and he just absolutely pulls this off. I mean, if this had gone poorly, I don't think you would have heard of Tom Hanks after this. Well, okay, let's, let's. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. I don't think he, 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 I think he just, like, literally just plays a dumb person. I don't think, like, he's just. He just has a low IQ. I don't, you know, he, like, so I think okay. it's okay. That, but that's <laughs> all besides, that's all besides, yeah. Ch- Chapin's trying to find every other word besides retarded yeah. right now, but this is not the point. The, when you think of this performance, at least when I think of this performance, unfortunately the first thing I think of is sort of the maybe, maybe overly done accent that he does, and I sometimes think maybe this is a silly performance, but... All you have to do is actually watch a couple clips from this movie and see the range of emotion that Hanks portrays in this movie, and you see the performance within the performance, and that's what really is makes it kind of an amazing, an amazing job. Remember Sean Penn in I Am Sam? Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> he Robert, was retarded because Robert Robert Downey Jr. said uh, said what you're not supposed yeah. to do. Exactly. <laughs> Oh my god! I'm gonna have to bleep all these out. You can't say that. I'm telling you, Chapin, I I know for a, a fact that you that, that that's not an offensive word. <laughs> um, 
Number two. You can bleep it. You can cut it all out if you want. Number two on the list. Saving Private Ryan. Number two? Yep. Which was... Wait, we're already at number two? Jeez. Yeah, well, you're rushing us. Which was Jeremy's number one, Chapin's number four, and my number four. It's my favorite Hank's performance. Can, I mean... Can you pick up... What, can you pick out a moment for me? For me? Yeah. Yeah, it's the... It, it's when they're about to get in that big argument. Um, what's his name? I think the medic had just died. And uh, Tom <laughs> yeah. Sizemore's I'm character... Yeah, Tom Sizemore's character is about to shoot Ed Burns' character. And he Tom Hanks just says, what's the, what's the pot up to? Yeah. I, and... I, I, I agree that's some good acting. It's some bad writing, though. I don't. I, I don't, don't think like, anything. I don't on like his... that scene either. But he does pull it off. Saving Private Ryan and Apollo Thirteen are similar performances to me. Like it's. I agree. A character a, leading. He's a leader. He's good at his job, and he does just that. And it's not showy. And I think that's it. Like he's convincing. And I he, feel again, for him more in Ryan than in Apollo Thirteen. Like he has so much more baggage. Just his character does. Yeah, I can see Whereas that. Whereas Apollo I, Thirteen, he's a guy who has a lot together. In Ryan, he's a desperate guy down d- deep down. Well, the, and he really it, portrays it, that. Those two movies are only three years apart, but he seems a lot older and aged and worn. Ryan. Yeah, yep. and. I'd say like I like the moments. I mean, I think the moments where he's shell shocked because he pretty, directed that thing great. you do. It aged him. Yeah. Um, he the shell shocked moments are really nice, but I also like those like quiet moments where he has to where you kind of you don't think of them initially when you think of Saving Private Ryan, but those moments when you are really in personal with him, where you're like like right here in a close up with him like when he's in the church and they're talking about you know Vecchio and the, the, all the men they've lost yeah. and I like also the line where he, where he goes from all, some bad all, writing but all that for a general like yeah I love that line delivery cuz like you learn there that like god he's not really all in on the idea of this mission either like right. he kind of thinks it's fubar um all right number 1 Castaway. Yeah, it's gotta be. Chapin's number one, my number one, Jeremy's number four. And it's just because it's all him. Like, and it is, this is a showy performance in some ways, but it's also a subtle performance in many ways. And I just think, I don't know how, that's the interesting thing about his, his career is I don't think that he, even being the lead in so many movies, in, in, insists on taking center stage of the movie and in castaway he does and he delivers and i just think that has to be commended um all right so captain phillips is the movie i missed that i haven't seen that a lot of people say might be its best performance where do you guys rank that not on chapin's list my number three there's a moment where he after he's rescued that's like this is your oscar real Moment that I think is very up. touching. No, I think you don't it's like bad. It? I I don't like the end of it when he's like shaking and stuff. Like yeah, I don't like that part. I like the rest of it so much more. Jeez, I it's not on your list, Chapin. No, it's not. It's not. It's my number um, three. I love him in that movie, but I think that last scene hurts it actually. It's pretty pretty bad Boston accent though. 
Well, okay, but you have Catch Me If You Can on your list, so let's not talk about bad Boston accents. <laughs> That's true. That's I didn't, true. I didn't I'm think Cal, we were Cal, Cal uh, Han, Maddie. Are we gonna are we gonna reveal? Like, you're not supposed to reveal all these. Jesus. All right, I'll give the full full everybody's full list now. My list: Castaway, Apollo 13, Captain Phillips, Saving Private Ryan, Forrest Gump, A League of Their Own, Philadelphia, Sleepless in Seattle, Jeremy, Saving Private Ryan, Forrest Gump, Apollo 13, Castaway, Philadelphia, League of Their Own, The Green Mile, Catch Me If You Can, and Chapin. Castaway, Philadelphia, Forrest Gump, Saving Private Ryan, Bridge of Spies, Charlie Wilson's War, which I've never seen, and Road to Perdition, followed by Catch Me If You Can. I don't like him in Road to Perdition. I just don't yeah, buy it. I don't love it either. Well, that's just, I just don't love that movie. Charlie Wilson's War is interesting because it's 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 one of those, uh, tie, all the Wilson things that tied up Tom Hanks with Wilson the Volleyball. He's in Charlie Wilson's War. He's married to Rita Wilson. Right? Come on, guys. Hey, Chapin, did you know that uh, in following, there's a little Batman <laughs> sticker? <laughs> Where's it going? Uh, I guess one of us is going to have to wrap, wrap it up now. Why, why are you guys so averse to coincidence? I'm not, this, but... This is so uninteresting. It, it, it's got to be at least a... a, a, a like, yeah, I was going to make that a rule of the Nolan podcast that you couldn't bring up the... All right, which I didn't, so... Okay, so that's going to wrap this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast up. Feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com is our what email address. What are your address. favorite movie coincidences? <laughs> favorite movie coincidences? <laughs> I did have a thought. Um, if you, uh, you want to email us what movie our sponsor is from will give you a point first person to 25 points over the ne- course of the next several episodes uh maybe gets a prize so really enticing huh? at get your film yeah. let us know what our what movie our sponsor for this episode is from we'd love to hear from you we'd also like to hear what your best tom hanks performances are if greyhound is on your list we would ask politely that you no Never longer to listen, listen to this podcast <laughs> No, no, no. We can't afford to lose any listeners. Please. <laughs> then if, if if Greyhound is one of your favorite films, let us know. And it will immediately become one of ours as well. I was wondering why a giant Chicago-based pharmaceutical company chose to advertise their first time on a low low listened to podcast same reason about movies. same reason apple paid 70 million dollars for Greyhound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's just too much money flooding around. <laughs> They just go, okay, so we've got this podcast sold. <laughs> I mean, I just think it's like they don't have a lot of takers right now with the whole RDU90 fiasco. So Yeah, well, that was a long time ago. I know, but, you know, people don't forget. Um, all right. That's it. Uh- I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.